This is the Jim Huber Show. Podcast. Whatever. Alan Stein is our guest today. Uh, Jimmy, uh, veteran basketball performance coach, creator of StrongerTeam.com, assistant coach at DeMatha High School, probably the most storied high school program ever. Hardwood Hustle podcast. He blogs with Nike. He trains some of the NBA's best players. He's a coach. He's a father. He's a hustler. Alan Stein. Hey, I gotta say, I gotta say this. I'm excited to have Alan Stein on because of this. Hey, Alan, you did a clinic back at Shiny Mission West High School a couple years ago, and I was there with Troy, and I had him and I had this guy, Dave Miller, on a big 6'8", 6'9", stiff inside. It's alive! Buddy of mine. And we're, they wanted to play horse, or pig, I think it was. And I'm out there stroking the three, knocking it down, and I'm dotting their eyes, and they're, they're getting beat. What happened was this. Jim was making a couple shots, right? No, <laughs> making a ton of shots. And he's talking. And so Milliron's like 6'8". And he goes up to the backboard. He says, all right, here's a shot. You got to jump up. You got to slap the backboard with your hand, make the layup. So he does it. So I'm in flip-flops. I'm 47 years old. You got a problem? I'm 5'11". <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. I jump up there just like a champion and slap that backboard and, and make that shot. So Jimmy gets up. What? <laughs> This man had not, this guy looks athletic. He looks like you, Alan, he does. I swear to God, Alan, you couldn't have put a piece of paper. He had not jumped for 15 years, probably. Well, since high school, I haven't slapped the backboard like that. It used to be what I did at warm After seeing you jump, I don't know that you did it in high school. So is it safe to say that if I got your vertical jump up to two inches, I would have doubled your vertical jump? <laughs> Triple. I could make that, that claim. Hey, hey, the thing is, the, the myth over here is Troy had like a 44-inch vertical, so I, I haven't seen that yet. But yeah, you would, if you got me up to... A munchkin! Probably double it. Alan, how, many, awesome. how many of these programs are, are scams. Everybody's selling the vertical program. Well, you know, and most of the programs at this point, I mean, I don't, I don't buy them and research them, so I can't say, you know, unequivocally exactly what the content is. But I do know, having been in this industry forever, that if nothing else, their claims are usually very distorted. Literally doubling somebody's vertical jump and or promising someone they can have a 30 to 40 inch vertical jump it's just unrealistic. It just that just doesn't happen. And uh, you know, I, I do think a lot of those guys have made their living on the internet, especially, and they they prey on young players that you know would give anything to be able to jump a little higher. And 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 I can see that happening. I mean, I, I know I bought several vertical jump programs when I was younger, and still don't have a forty inch vertical, and nobody doubled mine. So what about the shoes, Alan? Do the do the <laughs> you know the shoes from Seinfeld that the Kramer had on? Do those work? The big you know the big shoes. Yeah, and, and those were one of my first purchases. I mean, the street shoes uh, and jump soles have been around for a long time. I mean, I'll, I'll be 40 in January, and so I'm looking back on my teenage years when I purchased those. Um, the answer is yes and no. Does wearing those shoes and doing some stuff, doing some proper exercises and drills, is that better than sitting on the couch? Absolutely. Is it better than a more traditional and more basketball-specific appropriate jumping program? Absolutely not. So uh, I think that's usually... You know, the, the case is you take the average kid who might not be doing anything as far as training, they slap those shoes on, they train for a couple of weeks, and they jump a little bit higher. So, uh, I mean, I have nothing against those those companies or those products. I have no ill will at all, uh, but I'll stick with a more conventional and much safer training approach. Hey, most, most coaches don't have an Allen Stein or have an athletic performance coach on their staff, especially like high schools and youth programs. 
How would you suggest they go about maximizing that time during the preseason to, you know, for the athletic performance side? Uh, I think anyone that works with youth um, should have a general understanding of the performance side. I mean, to be quite honest, and I say it with full humility, even though this is how I make my living, I mean, it's, it's a lot less intricate on my side of things than it is on the skill side of things. I mean, there's so many more nuances uh, to teaching, shooting, passing, rebounding, defending, and handling the ball uh, than there is on the performance side. So I think anyone that works with, with youth or even middle or high school age players uh, should have a rudimentary understanding of this type of stuff. And, and that's, you know, that's my number one goal. That's what I try to do with Stronger Team is to provide resources uh, that youth and high school coaches can understand and implement. You know, I mean, that's, that's who I connect with. I, my, I have no interest in, in working in the NBA or with NBA players or, or you know, uh, speaking at the, the latest sports science summit. That's not what does it for me. If I can convey what I've learned over the last 15 years to a youth or high school coach that, that has a very basic understanding of movement in the human body in a way that they can understand it and share that with their players so their players can be on a, a safe and purposeful and productive program, I mean, that's, that's exactly what I'm looking to do. Um, I do think at the high school level, uh, it helps if the head coach assigns one of the assistants to kind of be in charge of the performance training program. Um, cause as coach Jones will quickly tell you, you know, as a head coach, uh, your voice will get tuned out if you're the only voice on a year round basis. Mm-hmm. So, well, I, I do think coach Jones values my expertise in the space. I do know that he values simply the fact that, that I'm the one talking to the kids during their workouts in the preseason and the off season, and they're hearing a different voice. And that makes his voice so much more powerful and strong, you know, once practice starts. When you talk about the movements and the athletic development, how can coaches say maximize the practices where there's drills and things that can combine the movements with skill development? And because I see some coaches, they'll line them up and just run maybe like suicides. Um, is there something that you can give suggestions of what they can do to combine that to maximize their time and make their kids better in all these areas? Yeah, for sure. And again, I mean, I, I work very hard to try to be a resource to help bridge that gap so the coaches don't feel that they have to make their players run suicides, that, that I can give them a drill that will be equally, if not more effective from a conditioning standpoint. Uh, I'm a huge, huge advocate of just playing tag. You know, a good old-style recess, free tag, you know, put your whole team inbounds, make one person it, and give them 30 seconds to tag as many teammates as they can. Uh, And if you do that, first of all, the kids will have so much more fun. Uh, It's so much more realistic to the game because running to a set line or a spot on the court and then decelerating and running straight back is not specific to the game, where tag is much more of a a free, open skill. Uh, The kids have a blast doing it. They don't even realize they're working that hard, but if you're the one that's it chasing everybody else, trust me, you will be working unbelievably hard during that 30 seconds. Trying to chase another human being it will intrinsically motivate a kid way more than running to a line will. So actually, you've raised the intensity level. You've made it much more specific, so there'll be a higher level of transfer. You've added a fun component, so the kids actually don't mind doing it. I mean, that's a perfect example. And, and I'm not going to say that, you know, uh, kids at the math have never run a suicide before, but, you know, if you, can, if you can have your choice between playing a game of tag or, or running a suicide, 
I think we all need to start picking tags. Well, you, you talk about that. How many of us, we've all played, how many of us when the coach said, all right, everybody, on suicide's the on the line. On We're the like, line. oh, yeah, hey, this is great. Let's run down here. You're all like, oh, geez. Oh, man. Gosh, yeah. dang it. I have a son that's playing right now, Alan. He's a, he's a, he's a junior in high school this year. And so I see a lot of high school basketball. And, and some of the teams I see are not very skilled. Why, why is that today, that, that there seems to be um, a knock on American players and skill? Are we just playing too many games? What's, what's going on? I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Uh, one, I do think um, kids, generally speaking, and if I'm going to paint everyone with a broad brush, in the offseason, in the spring, and in the summer, I think kids do play way too many games. Uh, first of all, it's detrimental to their body. It's just it's wearing their bodies out, no different than adding miles to a car. Um, I also think that you know something's got to give. So if a kid's going to spend most of his time playing games, then he's probably not spending as much time in the gym on his own or, or working with a competent coach and, and developing those skills. So you know, for the most part, the most basic portions of skills you don't really make a ton of improvement during the games. I mean, games are necessary. To, I mean, obviously, that's why we're all doing what we do. But, you know, playing 10, 12 games a week uh, is not how you're going to develop your skills. That needs to be developed separately. Again, uh, on your own, being a gym rat in the gym by yourself or with a teammate or with a coach. Um, we don't have enough quality coaches at the youth level. You know, everybody that's really good at teaching this game tends to matriculate on up and coach in high school or in college or the NBA or they run their own business um, and I, I really would love to see a movement where so many coaches would take pride in working at the youth level Amen to that. you know I, I, I respect any parent that volunteers to coach a team I mean I truly do as a parent myself I know how much time that takes I know that their intentions are good but with all due respect just because you're the neighborhood dad and you played high school basketball 25 years ago doesn't necessarily mean you know how to physically, mentally, and emotionally work with 8, 9, and 10-year-olds. And even though you're doing it for the right reasons, uh, we need to educate that person so that they're teaching the right stuff that's age-appropriate, they're working on the appropriate skills. You know, I mean, there's, there's a pretty uh, fine continuum moving up in age and stage where you know, what players should be doing at, at certain levels. And, you know, if, if you're basically doing the same high school drills you did 25 years ago with eight and nine-year-olds, that's, that's a major problem. A lot of that stuff doesn't translate. USA Basketball is making a huge step in the right direction uh, to, to offering some programs to help educate youth coaches, and they're making a, a tremendous movement uh, to develop this youth development model. And I'm... I'm so supportive of what they're doing and very excited for what they're doing. Alan Stein is our guest. Um, Alan, you, you mentioned that your passion is, is what you're doing right now and not working with NBA players. But in the past, as you came up, you worked with Kevin Durant. I think I saw a quote on your site about how you helped him gain like 15, 20, 20 pounds. pounds before a season. How did you do that with him? Yeah, Kevin was really special even at the high school age. Uh, he was very, very lean. I know it's hard for people to understand, but he was actually 50, 50, not 15, 50 pounds lighter when I first met him at Montrose. He was 180 pounds, uh, and he now plays for the Thunder at about 235. So um, just with a couple changes to his diet and, and certainly some consistent workouts, uh, we were able to put about 20 pounds on him uh, his senior year of high school. And then he went to Texas when he was playing for Rick Barnes uh, and, and worked with 
in my opinion, the, one of the best strength and conditioning coaches on the planet, a gentleman named Todd Wright, uh, who helped him gain another 20 pounds, and then Kevin's put on another you know, 10 to 12 pounds since being in the NBA, and he's been able to keep that on. Uh, most of it was just diet. You know, I tell players all the time, and I remember telling Kevin this exactly. If you eat like a bird, you'll look like a bird. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing else I can tell you. If, if you want to gain weight, then you need to increase your caloric intake. Uh, and, it, and if you want to play like a champion, then what you put in your body, you know, has to be somewhat nutritious and, and being able to fuel you. How did you get him to eat more calories? I'm struggling getting my kid to eat more calories. Is it, is it more meals throughout the day? Uh, is, it, is it like drinking a gallon of milk a day? How did you it, increase that without you know, making the guy want to throw up when he sees food? Yeah, it, it's a lot of it. If you can eat more frequently, that certainly helps. You can also look for calorically dense foods, you know, like uh, trail mix and granola bars and peanut butter. I mean, those things, have, they have a lot of calories in a small quantity of food. So, you know, if you were to take, just say, a a Nature's Valley granola bar, and you were to load it up with a good scoop of peanut butter on it and drink that with a glass of chocolate milk, you know, first of all, what I, at least in my experience, most high school kids would think that tastes pretty good. Uh, they wouldn't have to, you know, like muscle it down. And there's a significant amount of calories in a granola bar with peanut butter and a glass of chocolate milk. So uh, that's the key, is, is finding somewhat calorically dense foods, eating them more frequently, and then arguably most important is finding the things that kids actually like to eat. And, and then, like anything else, you want to make incremental gains. You know, if you can bench press 100 pounds today 10 times, I don't put 150 pounds on the next time you come into a workout. I put 105 pounds on and make a small incremental change. Well, it's the same thing with nutrition. If a player is eating 2,000 calories a day now and you figure out mathematically they should be eating 4,000 to gain weight, Going from two to four thousand is that's just not. I mean, I wouldn't recommend right, that. Right. But if you can say go from two thousand to twenty two hundred, you know that's one extra piece of fruit and some Greek yogurt, uh, and then the next week add another two hundred, and then maybe after six to eight weeks they're they're where they need to be, but they gradually built it up the way that you gradually progress in the weight room. You know, for me, I found with a lot of kids that drinking down calories uh, is a lot easier. So if you have access to a blender and you can make some shakes, you know, again, you can. You you can throw all sorts of stuff in there, and, and I've, you know, I, I've got a few recipes that, that if folks want to email me, I can give them. Um, you know, it, it's easier to drink down, you know, eight hundred to a thousand calories sometimes than it is to eat that. What about supplements in those shakes? Protein powders. Um, what's your opinion on stuff like that? Creatine. The high school athletes, some of them use stuff like that. What, what do you think of that? I, I'm not, I don't believe in using anything that's going to claim to enhance performance. Uh, if you're going to use a, a, a natural whey protein powder or something that's basically the equivalent of you know eating a piece of chicken, I have no problem. I mean, I, I use protein powder myself. It's a great supplement to the shakes. Um, but generally speaking, the word supplement by definition means in addition to. So uh, I don't recommend kids do anything from a supplement standpoint unless they're eating the most perfect diet ever, and I've never met a kid at the high school age that does, so it's almost a moot point. Uh, The problem is most kids believe the word supplement means instead of or in replace of. So, hey, I don't need to eat five or six meals a day. I just need to drink a couple of these shakes, and I'll be fine. 
and they won't be because there's not enough calories in those shakes to, to help them gain weight. So as long as people understand that supplement means in addition to, you get quality sleep, you train hard, you train smart, you train consistently, you eat real foods uh, frequently throughout the day uh, and as healthy foods as you can find, and if on top of all that you want to take a little bit of something extra like a whey protein, then I have no problem with it. Hey, Alan, I'm really concerned about Troy because his, his flexibility is getting really bad. I mean, I, I walked in today, and he tried to reach down and touch his toe standing up, and he's like got, got his hand knees. right below his knees. Yeah. How important is flexibility with athletic performance? And maybe you can help Troy with a few tips that might help him out. Well, you know, flexibility is going to basically be kind of the range of motion of a muscle or a muscle group. Mobility is, is more talking about the range of motion in a joint. So, you know, having, having really good ankle and hip mobility is extremely important for basketball players, uh, not only to perform well, but also to protect their knees. Um, the knee joint's designed to be stable, but the ankles and hips are designed to be mobile. Uh, and same thing with all of those working parts. You know, having hamstrings, flexible enough hamstrings to go through a full range of motion uh, is certainly important. So, um, but on some level, I do think flexibility and mobility are a little bit overrated. You know, I've, I've seen firsthand, and I'm not particularly flexible myself, but I've seen firsthand fairly elite-level players that aren't very flexible and knock on wood, they've still never had an issue with injury and they've still been able to perform at a high level. So I think it's like anything else. Uh, each player uh, should be trying to maximize their own flexibility and mobility just as they're trying to maximize their own strength and agility and so forth. Um, but, but just because a player is inflexible, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to be able to perform at a high level. How do you suggest for a coach that says, you know, I only have two practices a week and maybe it's an hour and a half each practice. What would you suggest them a program that can put together with dynamic movements to maximize their time so they're not they're still getting their time on the floor to work their kids for sure well I, I think uh, the best thing to tell a coach is that their time invested into a proper pre pre-practice pre-workout pre-game warm-up is very well invested that uh, it'll prepare their players minds and bodies to compete at the highest level uh, which I'm sure is, is what their goal is if you are handcuffed by the fact you only have two practices in 90 minutes of court time. Uh, I've tried to, to develop warm-ups that don't necessarily have to be done on the court. They can just be done anywhere where there's some open space. Uh, they can be done in a classroom, a locker room, a wrestling room, a, a courtyard if it's nice out, a hallway. So, you know, uh, the other thing would be, well, if, if the coach only has the gym from 3 to 4.30, uh, have the players show up at three, uh, 2.45, rather, and go through this group warm-up before they take the court. Again, they could do that in any of the aforementioned areas so that they're still getting the warm-up effect. And uh, they'll also see the level of their practice will increase when players are properly warmed up mentally and physically. So it's not just about, well, we have to do a warm-up because that's what everyone says you have to do. It's about getting your players in a state for peak performance, and, and that's what you should do. And, and, and if a, a coach would simply view their warm-up as a mini workout. If they would take, you know, the same planning and put in the same effort and the same intensity for that ten minutes of their warm up that they do for everything else, it'll just it'll it'll raise the level of, of what they're going to do in practice or what they're going to do in the game that night. What about like after practice and say a player they talk about building up like lactic acid and what should they do like players and coaches after practice? Is there some type of stretch and dynamic type movements they should do to help with that? Uh, there's two very distinct worlds. There's the perfect world, which is where all of us wish that we lived, and then there's the practical world, which is where we all do live. I will say that from a basketball standpoint, 
the NBA is about as close to a perfect world as you'll get. I mean, outside of doing some, some endorsements and some business deals, I mean, those guys have one job and one job only, to play basketball at the highest level 24-7. Uh, you know, they, they don't have any limitations as far as facilities, as far as equipment, as far as coaching, as far as staff. So, so for them, they're in the perfect world. At the high school level, we all live in the practical world where maybe only having the gym for 90 minutes uh, you know, a few days a week is actually the reality. So in a perfect world, yes, I'd like to see players go through a, a cool down and do some post-stretching and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's not a perfect world. And I'll be the first to tell you that we rarely do anything like that with the guys at the MAFA because we're pressed for time. Mm-hmm. If, and, and if Coach Jones says, Alan, you get 20 minutes to do your thing, I would personally rather invest that 20 minutes on the front end yeah. to actually – do the warm up than to, to try to divide it or dilute it a little bit uh, on the back end and you know uh, on that. So I guess more of the story is if you can make time and you believe in it and you can do a cool down and some post stretch, that's great. If you can't, it's not the end of the world. You're, you're still doing most of the more important pillars, in my opinion. Uh, weight training for basketball players. What do you what do you have your kids doing at Dematha weight wise? Uh, my number one goal is to get players basketball strong. It's not to get them weight room strong. Uh, and, and so my terminology is always strength training. Now, weight training and using conventional, conventional weights like dumbbells and barbells and kettlebells and so forth, uh, that's a subset of strength training. But it's not the only way to get a basketball player basketball strong. Uh, in fact, you know, I'm from the belief that the human body is the best piece of equipment that anyone ever needs and that, you know, you can put your body in, in different positions and, and have different angles and different leverages and, you know, just using your own body weight can get really, really, really strong. I mean, the most basic ones, which everyone's familiar with are push-ups and pull-ups and lunges and body weight squats and step-ups and holding plank positions. Uh, and for most youth and high school players, just doing those by themselves are very challenging to do them correctly, you know, when they first start. But even as you progress and get stronger, you know, uh, you can change the angle of what you're doing. You can, you know, do angled push-ups, or you can change your, your hand stance on a push-up, or you can do lunges from a variety of different angles, not just a forward lunge. So there's still so many ways to challenge a basketball player. Uh, and then you can also do some partner resistance work uh, where your partner actually provides the resistance. So for us at Matha, we certainly strength train, um, but a good portion of what we do is body weight and partner resistance because to me the ultimate test is not how much someone can bench press or squat to me the ultimate test is is how they play can they box out and set screens effectively do they get knocked off the ball during a pick and roll you know uh, can they go to the basket and finish through contact that's the definition of strong uh, the way that i see it so the numerical numbers associated with some arbitrary lifts I don't put a whole lot of stock in. Well, during the season, you know, the kids, their bodies kind of wear down, and it can be a grueling season. So during the season, how much strength training do you do during that time? Great, great question. And the most important thing for, for coaches listening is to make sure they continue an in-season program during the season. You know, most programs, especially at the high school level now, have gotten to the point where they understand that, uh, their players need to train in the off season and preseason, but then unfortunately, most of them uh, don't continue that behavior during the season, and it really doesn't make any sense because strength is an attribute that's quickly diminished. In as little as two to three weeks, a player can start losing some functional strength when you actually need it most. So, if you take the typical program that starts practice in November, if their players don't continue to strength train 
come February or March, you know, if they're lucky enough to make the playoffs, when they want their team to be physically at their strongest, they will actually be physically at their weakest. So uh, we really and truly believe that one of many things that, that allows us to be successful at Demessa is we continue an in-season program. And uh, it's, it's short. It's, it's, you know, very concise. You're talking 15 to 20 minutes, mostly bodyweight exercises. Uh, we try to get in two strength workouts per week, um, depending on the game schedule that week. It's, it's so important, and it, it keeps our guys not only strong and feeling healthy, but it also helps with their confidence. You know, we can look them in the eye during a huddle and say, you know, those, those guys in the other jerseys, they don't put in as much work during the season as we do. We, we deserve to beat them. And, you know, as you know, confidence is king on the hardwood. Yeah. Our guest today is Alan Stein of StrongerTeam.com and TheHardwoodHustle.com. Basketball has become a year-round sport. So what advice do you give, you know, the players of getting their minds and bodies to recover? Um, first of all, I'm a huge advocate of kids playing other sports. And, and when I, I say that, that doesn't mean that you can't still work on your basketball game on a year-round basis. It just means there's nothing wrong with playing soccer in the fall or baseball in the spring or, you know, playing, playing other sports and doing other things. Uh, I think it's good for the mind, and we know that it's good for the body. So, you know, by the time you reach 10th or 11th grade, at that point, if basketball is clearly your favorite sport and is clearly the sport that you're best at and would give you the best potential to, you know, to, to maybe have your education paid for, at that point I, I think it would be okay to specialize. But, but this nonsense of, of parents having kids specialize when they're seven and eight years old and only play basketball year-round, you know, if their kid is going to be the next LeBron James, playing additional sports and activities is not going to hinder that potential. In fact, it will help. Uh, it'll alleviate burnout. It's crazy. And, and again, as a parent myself, I know one of the things that unites all of us as parents is we love our kids more than anything in the world, and we would do anything to give them an advantage on being successful and being happy. So parents are making these decisions rather uneducated and, and uninformed. They're doing it with love. They think that to give their child the best chance to be the best basketball player they can be, that having them specialize at an early age, having them play 20 games a month in AAU, having them work with a skill trainer, they think that doing all that is going to give their child the best chance, and it, and it really doesn't. I mean, the basketball players we've produced in the last 15 to 20 years here in the United States is in spite of what's going on, not because of what's going on. Uh, whereas I would actually say in Europe, it's the exact opposite. The players they've produced in the last 15 to 20 years, is a direct, there's a direct correlation to their youth training model and what they're doing. And, you know, I've been, and, I've, and obviously, I mean, the United States is still producing the best players. I mean, we've got the Kobe's and the LeBron's and the KD's and the CP's and the Steph Curry's, uh, but I've always been of the belief system that if we implemented a better model, which, as I said, I can't speak more highly of what USA Basketball is doing. I'm just so excited for the changes they're going to make. But I think if this USA Basketball model would have been implemented 10, 15 years ago, uh, you know, we'd see three or four Kevin Durant, five or six Stephen Curry, six or seven Kyrie Irvings. And that's not to take anything away from those guys. Those are special human beings uh, who were born with some special tools and have worked their butts off to maximize their own potential. So I'm not, I'm not acting like, you know, that those guys aren't unique individuals, but I think we would see a, a much higher level of those elite players if we started doing things correctly at the youngest of ages. Alan Stein is our guest, veteran basketball performance coach, assistant coach at DeMatha High School, creator of StrongerTeam.com. His uh, podcast, The Hardwood Hustle, great podcast, by the way, Alan. Really enjoy what you're oh, doing. thank you. 
I, I talked my son out of playing football. I've been telling Jim to not have his kid play football. I see every week another kid dies. Every It's like the Hunger Games. Are you going to let your twins play football if they want to play? My kids aren't really growing up in a football household, so I don't think it'll be that hard for me to deter them from playing. Uh, yeah, uh, right now, I mean, the only reason I'm a little bit mixed on it is because I'd like to believe that I'd provide my children with any opportunity to explore anything that they might have an interest in. And uh, if they were just hell-bent on playing football, I think that would put me in a little bit of a, a dilemma because, again, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm alerted and worried about the safety concerns that you just mentioned. But at the same time, part of me feels obligated to let my kids try anything that they want to try within reason. Um, so uh, I think I'm just going to kind of shy away with it and, and – I don't think they're going to be drawn to it because I don't really have an interest in it myself, but I'll have to cross that bridge when I get to it. But it is, yeah, it's really sad for the game. It's sad for the players that this is happening to. I mean, it's it's equally sad even for these guys in the NFL that have had great careers entertaining us as fans, and now they're having all of these issues. Yeah, and, now and some of them can't. Later. Right, they're cognitive. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 I love playing, Alan. I loved it. I played in four years and then stopped because of basketball. You played four-man football, right? <laughs> no, it's not four-man. <laughs> I loved it. I loved hitting people. I loved it, man. It was great to play. It was fun. But, man, I'm so glad my son's not playing. I, I don't think I could watch yeah. him play. It, it just it terrifies I, me. You know, uh, this, this uh, onset of tons of concussions, I mean, concussions are yeah. happening very regularly in soccer. Mm-hmm. They're happening regularly in basketball. They're happening, in, you know, in, in martial arts and in wrestling. I mean, so it's, uh, I think, Football has taken it to another extreme, especially with you know with the, a lot of these deaths. But I mean, I would have similar concerns with lacrosse. I'd have similar concerns, you know, maybe not as much with basketball and 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 soccer. Even though there's a very much com you know contact sports, they're not really combat sports. Right? I, yeah, I'm trying yeah. to knock you out in football. I'm trying to hit you hard enough to knock you out. I yeah. mean, that's a game. Absolutely. You mention a lot nowadays. You hear a lot of people talk about learning proper movements and, and correcting imbalance. Is that more important for someone to kind of be able to understand the way they move and how to move more efficiently? What do you, what do you suggest on that? I really believe that, that the most underlying issue facing basketball performance is being able to move as efficiently as possible, uh, to being able to run and jump and change direction uh, and shoot and handle the ball as efficiently as you're capable of. And so, yeah, that, that's arguably the most important thing that a player can work on. And, and I'm of the belief system that it's in our best interest, uh, you know, in the youth basketball space to start addressing that at very early ages. Uh, should eight and nine year olds be bench pressing and running suicides? No, not at all. Should eight and nine year olds work on the mechanics of running and jumping and landing and backpedaling and defensive sliding and pivoting and lunging? And should they be able to control their body when they land from a jump to prevent their knees from knocking in? Uh, should they be able to sprint and stop on a dime with full body control? Absolutely, because those are the characteristics that the game requires. So if we're going to allow 8-, 9-, and 10-year-olds to play the game of basketball, then we should also be doing our due diligence and and helping navigate them on how to do those things most efficiently. And that doesn't mean that an 8- or 9-year-old needs to be on a rigorous five-day-a-week training program for 30 minutes a day. I mean, most at that age, it should be designed around fun and free play uh, with some some minor coaching added to it. But uh, I'm I'm a huge believer in advocate that that stuff needs to be introduced in at the earliest of ages so that it becomes so much easier for them when they get older and matriculate on up to junior high and high school. 
Alan Stein is our guest of StrongerTeam.com, also the Hardwood Hustle podcast. I, I heard a, an older coach, Alan, say that as he got older, he coached less and he was better for it. And and as a as a strength and performance guy, as you get older and wiser, do you find yourself pushing athletes less? I mean, has your method changed as you've gotten older? Most certainly. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, an interesting one, I do think the game of basketball in general is, is overcoached and undertaught. So I do think as coaches, whether they're performance coaches or basketball coaches, as they start to mature, uh, they pay much more attention to the teaching side of the game and, and, you know, helping to raise the IQ and really teach players how to play the game. Uh, I think that's unbelievably important. And you know what? Usually, and, and everybody goes through these stages, you know, when you're a younger coach, you want to share every single thing that you know. I mean, you, you want to you want to validate yourself by showing everyone, quote unquote, how smart smart you are. So you, you really do. You speak way too much and you coach way too much. Uh, as you get older, you know, you realize that really you should only be sharing the adequate information that's going to make the player understand the drill or understand the concept or motivate them, you know, so it really does become less is more. Uh, and, and I've, I found that true in my own coaching. You know, I definitely uh, say and do a lot less uh, than I did five to 10 years ago, but I certainly believe that the stuff I say and do now has a lot more purpose, a lot more intention, and I believe is a lot more effective. So the result is better, even though I'm, I'm technically saying and doing less. Alan, uh, Coach Huber over here, he works on his three big questions. Uh, as we're putting this podcast together, like you guys, when you grew Hardwood Hustle, you add features and little things. So we're going for the trifecta. These are his brain-boggling questions. Here we go. All right, Alan, if you're on an Great. island and you have one movie to watch for the remainder of your life, what would it be? Boy, this is uh, this is not going to speak real high to my intellect, but I'm going to go the original Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> oh no, you got that choice. Oh, perfect. This is choice too. Wow, you guys. No, can no, relate. no. Listen, he's. Can you guys to... do the sequel together? No, listen. He's trying to make <laughs> me sound like this guy. When Dumb and Dumber Two came out, he calls me instantly. <laughs> hey, Dumb and Dumber Two's coming out, man. You got to go. He's never asked me to go to a movie in my life. He, t- he drives hey, me. What a laugh. Have so, fun. Yeah. That, that's good. Yeah, right? I, I will say this, and this is not in defense of my selection, but I absolutely believe that a sense of humor is, is yes. sign of a intelligence. sign of somebody's right. intellect. Yeah, you can't, you can't be funny or think, find things funny if you're not intelligent. Now, granted, you know, some of the humor is, is pretty lowbrow and dumb and dumber, but I, I do think humor is, is a sign of intelligence. So, what is your, yeah, I'm going, dumb, I'm going dumb and dumber. What is your favorite scene in Dumb and Dumber? Because this will say something about you as well. Uh, well, it's not the it's not the bathroom scene if that's what you're worried about. I think <laughs> I, I think some of the uh, I think some of the initial dialogue when you know he says things like you know there's not a single job in this town unless you want to work forty, 40 hours, hours a week. week. <laughs> yeah, I just I find that kind of stuff absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I liked when his yeah, hands I, his my hands are sweating. He had those gloves on, and then <laughs> and then he starts to strangle him, and he's saying your hands are cold. <laughs> it gets me every time. Well, see, that was like when I asked you. You think we can get Alan Stein on the show? And you said, "Well, maybe a one in a million chance." I was like, "What? You're there, telling me there's, there's a, chance. a chance? You're telling huh? me there's a chance? You're telling me there's a chance? Oh yeah, that that movie is brilliant." All right, Alan. So, if you had one book to recommend to change someone's life, what would it be? Uh, Leading with the Heart by Coach K. And why would that be? I, I think Leading with the Heart 
it covers communication, it covers trust, it covers obviously leadership, as you can tell from the title. You know, from, from somebody that's, that's done those things at the highest of levels and with the most consistency. Um, and I think those are traits that are important for any human being to have. I mean, obviously there's, it's got the, it's within seven degrees of basketball, so certainly it's, it's aimed at that. But, you know, I think any young person uh, growing up today should aspire to be a leader and should aspire to have great communication skills and should learn how to develop relationships based on trust and holding people accountable. And uh, we should all, you know, not box ourselves in with rules, but we should all set standards for our lives and hold ourselves to those standards. And, and that's really what Coach K, uh, I, I believe, epitomizes on every level. And that was, I think that was his first first major book at least it was the first of the ones that i read i've come around on coach k I, as a kansas guy you can imagine how badly i hated duke with christian yeah. leitner and all those teams and they were so good they, sure. they were so good and i hated the guy and then i i fell in love in high school with nc state when they went on that run fell in love with jim valvano and then when i found out what coach k you know the relationship during the last months of jimmy v's life how he would go to the hospital at duke and, and they would cry oh, together yeah laugh together i saw a different side of him and now i'm a fan of him as well so i think that's a great yeah. choice i mean just uh, again i know this is not the coach k show but but i've had four or five players in my time at montrose and, and damasa go on to play uh at duke the first time i met him was boy i mean it's been over 10 years i mean it's probably been 13 or 14 years i met him at the gym at montrose and i mean you're talking about a guy that i idolized so for him to walk in and for me to see him standing there in the flesh for the first time, I mean, my heart skipped a beat. And, and we talked for a few minutes. wasn't much of an exchange. I mean, I, I was sweating the whole time. Uh, <laughs> true, and, true and, enough. And, and this, is, this is really back before, before email was a big deal. So I actually hand-wrote him a note that just said, you know, uh, you probably don't realize this because you meet a lot of people, but, boy, you, you made my day, my week, my month, and my year by taking a few minutes just to talk to me. And he hand-wrote me a letter back <laughs> saying, same thing. Alan, you do a terrific job with these kids. I appreciate your passion. I enjoyed talking to you. And, you know, there'll, there'll be a handful of things buried with me when I go, but that letter back from Coach K will be one of them. That thing will be tucked in my navy blue suit whenever I'm done, done this big dance. That's awesome. Hey, last one. What's the best piece of advice anyone ever gave you in your life? Oh, um... I don't know that anyone actually gave this to me, but it's the one that I give everybody else, and that's Find your purpose, find your calling, and you do that by doing two things. The first thing you do is you find what you're most passionate about, that, that what you absolutely love to do, and then you also figure out what things you're very, very good at, what things are you naturally gifted at doing, and then you find a place where those two things intersect, and that's usually going to be your purpose or your calling. Hey, Alan, you motivated me today, inspired me on the athletic performance side. Now, my question for you is this. When I do jump over that telephone book, when I do jump over it, can I send you like a testimonial, a video, video. that you'll put up? Well, yeah, we'll put a new video out, and it'll, literally it'll be called Quadruple Your Vertical Jump. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love one it. inch we to will. four, slow-mowing up to touch the bottom of the backboard. Put graphics on it and everything. <laughs> for it. Oh, my God. Alan, you were terrific, man. Continued success with StrongerTeam.com. Continued success with Hardwood Hustle. Thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Have a good one, guys. Thanks, Thank be you. Good, buddy. Take care. 
And that's it for the show today, Jimmy. Uh, have a great day. Uh, you have a better one, Troy. What, what are you doing today? What's going on? You got anything? You did picture day the other day with the family. Yeah. How'd that I, go? It went great. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, when you have beautiful kids and a lovely wife, it makes everything look good. When you're kind of the, uh, what, the ugly duckling in the group. Did the photographer have to do anything for, for your head? Did they have to do makeup? Because sometimes when we do video shoots, we got to do makeup or the lights will reflect off your head. Did the professional photographer he's looking at me he's ready to kill right now she told me you don't have to do anything with beauty like that a beautiful head like that why would you have to mess that up when did you go with the all the smooth look the the minwax haircut (laughs) why why do we have to go back down when when was this when how many years have you had that look because i've never known you with hair when, when did you do that? I think I was probably around like 26, 27 years old. And you look good because you don't have a bumpy head like me. I would have like bumps like a ski mogul if I was to go with it. You know how the guys bounce bump to bump? That's what it would look like. Bump you would look bump. like a cone head. I would look That's horrible. That's what you would look like. I got a point there, but let my hair grow. No one will notice. You look great. But let me ask you a hypothetical question, all right? Let's bring a newsmaker into it. Donald Trump comes in the room right now and says... This is going to be huge. I'm going to give you, Jim, you can take my hair. Well, don't give me Donald Trump's hair. Gosh, no, I'm it. asking, are you at a point where you would take his hair if it was off? Not Donald Trump's hair. Now, if you gave me maybe Matthew McConaughey's hair, right, something like that. Yeah. If you gave me like, uh, who else? Who else? Mo Howard. Mo Howard. Yeah, Mo Howard. Maybe Jim Harry, like Jim Carrey, Dumb and Dumber. That would... Uh, please you somehow aesthetically. Well, I have to have somebody has a nice set of hair. I don't want something that looks like I <laughs> You're got a saying bush on Trump's my head. hair isn't good. Are it looks you like crazy? a rough out bush or something on the head? <laughs> like I don't like, need that. It looks like it should have claws coming out oh, from boy. underneath it, like roadkill or something. Like Brad Pitt, like hair like that or something. <laughs> I can handle that. All right, Jim, you have a great day. We'll see you next time here. Thanks to our great sponsor, hey, Bra- <laughs> BreakthroughBasketball.com. Go on there. There's tons of great stuff, all free, even free hair at Breakthrough. Basketball bald is beautiful. Bald is beautiful. We'll see you next time. The Jim Huber Show, making life better through sports.